Hello and welcome to Sabbath School Quarterly Commentary. This is your pure gold commentary podcast. And as the name suggests, this is a commentary. It's not a study guide. So grab your study guide if you're not driving or running while listening to us. My name is Morgan Vincent. And in this week's episode, we have Marcial Hernandez. Marcial, you've joined us before. Thank you for coming back again. We are discussing the theme today within the concept, within the 13-week journey of In the Crucible with Christ. We're focusing in today on struggling with all energy. You excited? Yes, I am. Thanks for having me back. It's great to have you. And Marcial, most of us, we've continued with this point, with this idea that most of us will experience hardship and suffering during our life. But it seems as though some people just seem to rise above their hardship and suffering and they just keep getting on through life. I can literally think of people right now who will remain nameless, but they're going through incredible moments and times of pain and suffering where you just think, how do they do it? Do you know people like that, that just come to your mind? Yep. Yep. Definitely. Today in in our discussion, in, in our commentary of this week's lesson, we're going to be looking at how can we cope? How can we struggle with all energy so that when hardships come and they will, we won't be overwhelmed because by learning to cope, we can actually even be a greater blessing to others. So there are some things that we as Christians, as followers of Jesus, that we need to know so that we can cope with trials and affliction. The first one is understanding the role of the Holy Spirit. And I love the place that we're starting with today because when we can understand the role and the nature of the Holy Spirit, it's going to help us, and I keep coming back to this word, to reframe our pain and suffering in the crucible. The second is the role of our free will. In other words, the decision we have, the freedom God has given us of then the decisions we can make. And thirdly, it's the importance of perseverance. And we're going to discuss each of these three points and give commentary on them. To start with, let's go to the role of the Holy Spirit. Unpack that for us. Yeah, it's very interesting. Like in John chapter 16, Jesus is speaking with the disciples. And we know, we have read the Gospels in the life of Jesus that he was here healing the people. He was resurrecting those who were dead. He was just breaking those chains of those who were bound by sin. But when he was talking to the disciples, he said something like, hey, it's better for your advantage, guys, if I go. Mm. Because if I go, the helper will come. And he was like referring to the Holy Spirit. But when you think about it, it's like Jesus was doing good on earth. And then he was saying like, it's better if I go. And one of the things that it was be beneficial for humanity is like in the plan of salvation, Jesus came as a human, right? He came as a human, and but he was limited to his human body. But when he left, he sent the Holy Spirit. And one of the things, or one of the roles of the Holy Spirit that he was going to convict humans, he was able to be everywhere and he was going to convict humans of sin. He was going to guide them into all truth as well as some of his roles come into this earth. Why? Well, essentially to prepare people to enter God's kingdom. Okay, I don't know about you, but if salvation was dependent upon my commitment to God, my desire, my get up and go, if you will, be a lost person. But here we see the role of the Holy Spirit. The point of the Holy Spirit, as you said, was to, or one of, was to guide or lead us not just to the truth, not just to the person of Jesus, but into all truth. And you kind of get this image of, okay, I'm now into something. I'm now in something, okay, into that experience with the person of Jesus. When we consider this and how the Holy Spirit reproves or convicts the world of sin, in some sense, it's a mystery. In some sense, we don't 
really know. But in another sense, we're given insight, especially in John chapter 3, in the encounter that Jesus has by night when Nicodemus comes to Jesus and asks them questions and they have a discussion. And there Jesus is talking with Nicodemus about the way that the Spirit works in the life of an individual. And it's to convict the moving of the Spirit. It's like the wind he would say, mm-hmm. doesn't know where it's coming or going. And I don't know about you, Marcel, but when I reflect retrospectively back on my life, I can think, wow, did not see that move of the Holy Spirit in my life. But here Jesus compares this, as I've said, the work of the Spirit is to bring this new and this spiritual life. This then means something because there has to be a connection then between the suffering that we go through and then the work of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Is there a connection? I'm suggesting there is, but I'm going to throw it to you. Yeah, I is agree. there a connection? I agree totally with you. You don't I, have to agree with is. me for the sake of agreeing with me. <laughs> no, no, I had the same conviction. Like some of us have harder hearts or more closed than others. And somehow the Holy Spirit, he needs to get our attention through some drastic ways. It may take like a suffering experience or a really hardship going in our lives for the Holy Spirit to get our attention. It may takes suffering even from preventing us to drift away from God. Even in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, it says, Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecution, in distresses for the sake of Christ. Hmm. For when I am weak, I am strong. So there's a connection there. When we go through those difficult times, maybe God is trying to teach us something there. Maybe God is trying even to prevent us to walk away from him. When we suffer, which we will, Mm. call out to God, ask for his spirit, Mm -hmm. be open to his instruction, be open to his hearing. Let's keep going on. And I want to read now from Colossians chapter one, verses 28 and 29. Paul also says, and I like the way the New Living Translation says, so I'll read it from that. It says, so we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to be present. We want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ. That's why I work and struggle so hard. So Paul, he's saying to the the church there in, in, in Colossae, he's saying, look, this is the reason I'm working and struggling so hard. This is the reason I'm going through all of these trials, all of these struggles, all of this. Hmm. Why? It's so that they may be perfect in their relationship with Christ. They may have this complete relationship with Christ. He goes on and says, well, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. I mean, if that last section was not in the text, and if Paul just says, that's why I struggle and work so hard, you'd be kind of like, okay, now this is kind of survival of the fittest. The strongest, those that just grit their teeth in the most will get through it. But Paul says, yes, I'm working. Yes, I'm struggling. And in one sense, we have to keep that in mind. Like the struggles and the trials that Paul is going through, it's as though he's going through them alone, but yet he's not. Like he's putting forth everything he can. But in the same sense, in the very true sense, in so doing, he's depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. Mm -hmm. So this work struggle, this work and struggle that Paul is talking about here, we do see this connection. And I think it's a very beautiful connection as well. With this in mind, this mighty power, this mighty power that Paul depends on, We've seen it, and I love one of my favorite texts in the Bible, Marcel, is Galatians 2.20. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life I, which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me 
and gave himself for me. So it wasn't some special ability or endurance that Paul had, but it was the working of the Holy Spirit in his life. Any further thoughts? I want to throw it to you, Marcel. Yeah, and one of my one of the famous verses as well in, in the epistles that Paul wrote, he says in Philippians chapter four, "I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me." So it was Jesus, the one given the strength to Paul to endure all those trials and difficulties through the work of the Holy Spirit. So Paul was totally surrendered to Christ and to the Holy Spirit, and they were the ones who gave the strength and the power to to endure all those trials. Mm. And when we are totally surrendered to Christ, we too can experience that power. We too can have that endurance in, in, in those difficult times because we can make those promises ours as well. Yes. And I want to make a slight detour a bit, but it'll make the point, it'll serve the purpose of, of where we're going with this commentary is that it shows the importance of this idea of Christ being the second Adam. In other words, the first Adam that we read of in Genesis there, he failed. He gave in to, to temptation and through him death came. Then Jesus comes in the place of where Adam failed, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses. We just go all the way through the history of the Old Testament. They all failed. Jesus comes and Jesus succeeded where Adam failed. Jesus conquered where Adam was defeated. And so with this in mind, we no longer relate to the first Adam, right? Back in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Rather, we now relate to Christ, this new corporate head of humanity. And this means, Marcel, and for our listeners as well, that we now have one who has been made perfect through suffering. But it would say in Hebrews, through his suffering, he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And so now because of this, as you so well said, the faithfulness of Christ now becomes ours. Mm. The endurance of Christ now becomes ours. The patience of Christ now becomes ours. Everything that Christ achieved and won and demonstrated becomes ours. As Paul would say, through him who strengthens me or through him who lives in me. And this is, we just see this often and often again. It's one of the incredible points of Paul's theology and writing is this in Christ motif. And when we are in Christ, we get all the benefits, all the blessings of his life. They do become ours as, as well. So with this in mind, Marcel, kind of coming back, when we're suffering, it may be physical pain, it may be mental depression, loneliness, anxiety, so on and so on. If these feelings are so strong and they influence our decisions, how can we keep these feelings under control? We want to talk about free will, about our, our ability to make decisions. and so. With that in mind, how can we keep our feelings under control? Yeah, because we know that if we make decisions based upon our feelings alone, mm. it can lead us to bad consequences and suffering in life. And one of the things that we can do to prepare ourselves is found in First Peter chapter 1, where it says, prepare your mind, exercise self-control. That we are living in a world today that it, it is just geared to have us make decisions based on our feelings. To, but we need to protect our mind. We need to protect those avenues in our lives mm, to put mm. good things in them and not to rely on our feelings, but to rely totally on God. It's true. No, really, really true. And First Peter chapter 1 and verse 13, it says to prepare your minds for mm -hmm. action and exercise self-control. We've spoken about previously the importance of being vigilant. We have the devil. He's a roaring lion seeking to devour him ever he may. It's not enough for us to kind of like, oh, I'm now in this position. Oh, 
Oh, oh, what do I do now? Oh, oh, quick, 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 help, help, help. We can actually do things to prepare, to be ready for that. Paul has said this in his writings. Now we've read it from Peter here that we can prepare our minds as well. There's also another really practical point regarding what we can do to exercise our will and exercise our freedom of choice. And Jesus taught it. It's a pretty matter of fact way of saying things. It's in Matthew chapter five and Jesus is talking and he's preaching through the Sermon on the Mount and, and he makes the point of what adultery really is. He gets to the heart of it, which in fact is the heart. And he says, I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it's more profitable for you to that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Jesus is making it very clear that sin does start in our thoughts, feelings, actions. So if we have these feelings of loneliness, these feelings of depression, etc., 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 recheck where are our thoughts. How can we prepare and so that our thoughts are in line with God's will? Mm-hmm. With this in mind as well, there, there are practical things we can do. Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Now, he's not literally saying go and like literally pluck your, your eyeball out, but he's saying, look, if there are very obvious things in your life that are causing you to trip up and are unnecessarily causing you to suffer and struggle, it makes sense to get rid of them. And that's the lesson that Jesus is trying to teach. Sure. You know, like uh, talking about our thoughts, like sinful thoughts can enter into our bodies through our sensory systems, the sight, hearing, smell, touch, and taste. And what Jesus is referring there in Matthew is like Jesus is making the point that it will take a radical, extreme self-control to ignore those temptations that will enter into our brains. And it has to be like a radical change. We need just to get rid of it. That's what Joseph did when he was tempted in, in Egypt. Mm. He was not. He didn't stay in the house. Yeah. He just ran out of the house. Like he just caught any um, avenue or any temptation. He just ran away. And I think that's one of the things that we can do as well. And that's what Jesus is referring. Not like you were mentioning, not to plug our eyes, but just to take a radical change in certain things in our life that we need to Cut them off. And Marcio, to make the point as well, Joseph, I dare say, would not have had the courage and the will to book it out of there and run if he had not been relying and trusting in the power of God. Mm. And so it, so it goes to show the importance of, and we see this in the life of Joseph, God brought him into favor with certain people and places and environments. God's grace was upon him. He was a man in whom the spirit of God dwelt. And this allowed him and this very much empowered him, or rather I should say, to be able to, when those times came, he could book it out of there. And so it goes to show the importance of how much we do need to rely on on God in all of this. And it reminds me of what Paul says, and he speaks of the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit can only grow if first a seed has been planted. And he also would say in another case, another place rather, that God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he reap. If we are sowing the seeds of time with God, prayer with God, communion with God, depending and trusting on his promises, his faithfulness, being led by his spirit, it's going, it just has to produce those fruits of the spirit. So when we actually allow the Holy Spirit into our lives, it then gives us the fruit of the spirit. He gives us the fruit of the spirit, one of which is temperance, or as some other translations would say, self-control. So the Holy Spirit actually empowers us to crucify the flesh, to control our feelings, and to have that temperance, have that self-control. What else can we do, Marcel, to exercise self 
control any thoughts. I think I like like going back to the story of Joseph, like he responds that the response that he had with Potiphar's wife, mm. when she was tempting him, he answered like this, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? I think when we have in our minds that God, we are hurting God. I think that's one of the things that we can do to protect yourself. Joseph didn't say, oh, I cannot do this because I'm going to hurt like uh, my religion or my father or, or my boss. What he had in mind is I cannot do this against God. And I think when we have that in mind as well, it will help us to, to prevent those yeah, wickedness or, or that sin. It's true. And we actually don't have any excuses or specific trials or, or suffering that's so bad and feeling that's so strong that we can't actually make the right choices. First Corinthians 10, 13, one of my favorite promises, it speaks of how God is faithful. Oh, let me back it up. Paul's saying there's no temptation that's over. Actually, let me back it up to the verse before, you know, wherefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. I think that's 12, maybe it's 11. Anyway, I know it's there, Marcel. Wherefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. We can't do this in our own strength. Paul then goes on to say in verse 13, There is no temptation that's overtaken you, but such as is common to men. In other words, what you go through, Marcel, what I go through, it's common. Okay. But then it says that God is faithful. And with those temptations, he will actually provide a way of escape that we can endure. And this is what we've been talking about. Struggling with all energy, struggling with endurance, going through these trials, going through these temptations, the crucible with endurance. And God promises to give that. And so this is a victory which actually gives us more strength and then the temptation actually lessens. The more we can tune our heart, I love the, the words of that famous hymn, tune my heart to, to sing thy grace. Are we tuning our hearts? Are our minds and our thoughts aligning and tuning with the thoughts and the will and the direction that God would have for our life? Let's look at another example from the Bible of someone who went through and persevered, suffered, struggled with all energy, quite literally with all energy. For our viewers, we can't have a, like a question or a call in service. When you think of someone in the Bible who struggled, who endured literally with all energy for hours on end, Jacob, mm. where does Jacob fit in? What can we learn from Jacob? When we back up the story a little bit, like we know that Jacob deceived his father mm -hmm. uh, in trying to obtain the birthright. And because of that lie, he left and he never saw his mother ever again. Like we were in, in, in the lesson before, it has been studied that sin has its consequences. And the consequences for deceiving Isaac was like never, one of the consequences was never to see his mother Mm. Again, but when we look at his story, he really suffered. He really suffered. Laban was taking advantage of him, of his manual labor. And when he was, one of the things that I like when he was coming back to the promised land, Jacob learned that his brother Esau was coming with 400 soldiers to yeah. kill him. Mm -hmm. And it's very interesting that that night he makes all the preparation, like he divides the camp in, in, in different, into camps, and he's wrestling with God in prayer. And then in, in that battle that he had, like he had an encounter with, with Jesus, Jesus injured Jacob's hip so he could not fight. So imagine, you know that your brother is coming to kill you, mm -hmm. and now you have your hip that is injured, you, you're going to be dead. Yeah, And I like the story because this was a reminder, even though this struggle, this intense pain, now because he can't fight, he has to rely totally on God, that he was going to be the one like fighting for Jacob. 
mm. and he had to exercise faith in that experience. I've never in one whole time frame done any form of physical activity for <laughs> four, five, six hours. The most maybe two hours or something. Oh no, I've gone for a bike ride for like six hours, but it was broken up into sections. So it wasn't consistent. It wasn't consecutive. But anyway, the point here is you're resting, like you're expending your whole energy in this. We know that the person who initiated the wrestle with Jacob is none other than Jesus Christ. But Jesus doesn't come to destroy Jacob. Jesus doesn't come to humiliate or he doesn't come to in any way make Jacob's life harder. Rather, Jesus actually comes to heal. Jesus actually comes to restore, to save, to realize and bring Jacob, sorry, rather, to the place of realization that God actually is for Jacob and that God's been working on the heart of Esau. And, and Jacob's not aware of this, though he would be in, in, in the next chapter, in, in chapter 34 of Genesis. So with this in mind, again, we can reframe the pain, the suffering, the struggle that we go through, that we actually can do it with all energy. We can actually do it. And again, it's not in our own strength. I don't for a second believe that Jacob was doing this in his own strength. Mm. Yeah, he was still, he still had his questions. Yeah, he still was wrestling and struggling with things, but he had encounters with God previously in his life that, that gave him confidence, that, that gave him the awareness that, hold on, there is forgiveness with God. Mm. Mm. He's just freaking out thinking, oh boy, my brother is now coming with 400 men. I'm done for. Incredible story. Absolutely incredible story. And that's what actually Jesus came to, to give Jacob, even a new name. Yeah. And that's when Jesus changed his name. Like his name was Jacob. That means like this supplanter. And now he's going to be known as Israel, like one who wrestles with God, a triumphant with God. Incredible. Mark, as we bring some of our thoughts to a close for today, I want to look at a couple of thoughts as we finish. James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, it's this incredible passage that helps us understand the trials that we go through. James says, my brethren, count it all joy. And if you're reading this for the first time, hearing this for the first time, you're thinking, okay, cool. what, what, what am I to count all joy? <laughs> like the fact that I've won the lottery? No. The fact that I've done a job promotion? No. He says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And you're like, what? Like, why am I to count it all joy when I fall into various trials? He goes on to say, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect or its completing work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. James says that we are to consider our trials to be a joyful experience because our faith is being tested. God would not test something. God would not allow trials to come our way if he did not firstly see value in us or secondly, see something of value that he wants to bring out of us and grow us into be greater image bearers of him in this world, if that makes sense. Which begs the thought as we wrap it up, some of us, when we're going through these times of suffering and trial, can actually be the most powerful witnesses. Some of us may think, I'm going through these trials, I'm going through these struggles, therefore I cannot witness for Christ. But in actual fact, it's as we do these things and only through the strength of God, only through the joy that he would give us, that we can actually suffer with all energy. It's only through him. And what a powerful testimony, a powerful witness that is. One thing is certain in this life, and that is that we will experience hardships and suffering. But whenever they come, we can remember that firstly, the Holy Spirit is with us. Secondly, 
he would give us the impetus and the power to make the right decisions. And thirdly, that we can then guard against these feelings of, oh, what do I do? We can have our feelings guided. We can have our decisions guided by the Holy Spirit. Got anything for us to finish with? Yeah, yeah. Just a brief sentence. We need to be very careful and we never need to judge someone like someone who's suffering or seeing that they're doing something wrong. Instead, we need to love them. We need to accept them. And more especially, so try to meet their needs and pray for them. Beautiful, beautiful. It's been great again to have this discussion and give this commentary on, yeah, the topic and the lesson of struggling with all energy. It's been great. Thanks again for our listeners. I really hope and pray that you would be strengthened because of this, that a new perspective would have arisen out of what you've listened, how you've engaged and interacted with this today. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you like the conversation, tell your friends. You can subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you are listening right now. Sabbath School Quarterly Commentary is a production of the Sabbath School Department of the North New South Wales Conference. This week's episode was produced by Henrique Felix and Morgan Vincent. That's it. We'll see you next week.